On today's Africa Policy Chat, I have a conversation with Susanna Ejang, who is the co-founder and co-editor of Collateral Benefits. The project curated voices from across the African continent and the diaspora in the midst of the COVID-19 lockdown. We will be partnering with Collateral Benefits to tell some of these stories. Susanna spoke to me about why this project was initiated and what she hopes to see this project do on the African continent. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation, um, Susanna. Um, you are the co-founder and co-editor of this incredible project, The Collateral Benefits. And currently, you're also a Mason Fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School, right? Mm. Yes, I am. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about how that pro- how your program is going um, at Harvard? Ah, uh, the Mason program. Well, it's going very well. It's very intense. And yeah. it's both about improving our technical abilities and capacities, but also about uh, about improving and working on our, our soft skills and understanding the purpose behind the person we want to be, uh, the people we want to be. So um, it's going well. It's, uh, it's hard. Um in, so, in some occasions, uh, yeah. but, it's, but it's going well overall. Excellent. So glad to hear. <laughs> so this project, Collateral Benefits, I remember when, I've, when, you, when, we, when you first approached um, me about it, and I was just kind of wondering what it was about. Now, when I went through and saw, the, saw what you guys had put together, I was actually really, really impressed. Um, so let me just start by asking you, how did this project come to pass? What, what is it that was driving, um, driving you to create this project? Yes, we are in 2022 now, no? But so imagine that back, um, this is a spring of 2020, no? And it's when the whole world was um, was uh, trying to deal with COVID-19, yes? Uh, it has disrupted everyone's lives, yeah? Yep. Um, we, I was, I had just finished working uh, for the Puerto Guinean government in the Security Council in New York. And I was in Spain uh, with my mother who had a health condition which was deteriorating. And we were in a situation where the health systems were uh, unable to, to ensure that everyone will get the care because COVID-19 was taking up all the resources. So it was very difficult. And I also had to stop my plans. You know, we couldn't travel. We couldn't move around because of the curfews. And um, and the security guidelines that the country was following uh, to es- stop the spread of COVID-19. So um, with the health system saturated, um, my professional life in a standby and my mom's situation, it was very um, intense, difficult. And you saw, you kind of feel isolated. Yeah, you feel. Yes, you feel I remember that. that. Yes, the isolation was actually really. Yes. It was really strange because then suddenly you are not going to work. You are not going anywhere. Everybody was literally just at home and, you know. Yeah having yeah. to do everything. And, but it was, um, so we have to postpone our plans. Um, and I also had some health issues on my own to deal with. So it was very complicated and I felt very stuck. I'm very um, unable to do things, no? Because unable to do things the way you 
we did in the past no. right? because of the circumstances mm-hmm. and but I was not the only one feeling like that you just said you also remember that feeling yes yes I um, and beyond the the individual we were also seeing it at the level of communities no about the impact of COVID on the people of African descent in the in countries where they were a minority or or a group that was under uh, underrepresented um uh, politically and economic and economically, so we were seeing the impact. Uh, how um, the hardest when black people were among the hardest hit uh, communities of COVID nineteen, and um, people on African people of African descent, and and also we saw that Africa was also isolated in a way, um, in how the the continent and countries were uh, finding it very difficult to get um, access to to health supplies yeah, and to and even to the vaccines. Mm. Um, so it was this sense of isolation and we wanted to work to ensure that we all remember that we were not alone because what happened is that, I mean, like you, I am in, um, in um, Pan-African platforms. I'm a member of Pan-African platforms like Africa 2.0. Yeah. And I'm also in the, in, I am a member of other platforms of the African diaspora, like a, uh, Afroinnova, no, which is a, a network of an, a, a network of African diaspora leaders and entrepreneurs, and everyone was talking about the impact of COVID on their professional lives and their personal lives. Yeah. And at the same time, I don't know if you remember, there was a lot of trying to make sense of what COVID meant, and. There were these publications, uh, Western publications mainly, you know, were the first ones to come out with publications about trying to make sense of COVID right. with different opinions uh, from uh, from different people. Like there, I remember this publication from Politico, but there were many others. And what you want, uh, for me, the common denominator with these publications at the beginning is that there were very little or nothing about Africa, um, very little voices of people of African descent. And it was not their fault, you know, like we needed to do something to ensure that our voices, our experiences yeah. were also um, counted on. So we set up uh, Sarah Ousu, who was at the moment, was in, in Mozambique at the time, and I spoke about this. And we were like, we need to stop stop talking and we, get, we need to get people to I write. And so we started to record this and we are so happy that uh, the Africa Policy Journal is going to help us <laughs> in this process. Yeah. So excellent. Such such an intriguing, um, intriguing story. Yes, I I remember when, you know, the reports are coming out that, you know, the African and like communities we are, you know, we are hardest hit. And exactly this sense that everyone was now on their own. Every country was trying to sort out what was going on. And so this idea um, of isolation was actually really strong. Um now, as I was reading through the pieces, I actually saw some of them um, that you wrote, which I thought was really fascinating because, of course, you've already explained, you've described what you were going through with um, with your mom at the time, and I do hope that she's better. Um, Thank you. And so the, the pieces that you wrote, yes, so the perspectives that you wrote, you know, why did you write them? And can you tell me a little bit about, you know, the process that went into putting them together? 
Oh, this is a, a really nice question. Um, and I, I need to explain a little bit about the perspectives, yes? Um, we call the pieces perspectives. Um, so they are around 300 words. Some of them are much longer, <laughs> but around 300 words. And, and in total, we have collected over um, 152 perspectives from all continents in the world. So it's really, it's, it's, it was really a labor so of love. fascinating. Um, yeah, so it was about, you know, people within African countries, but also across the diaspora from Spain to France to Portugal to Chile, Brazil, uh, Japan, Hong Kong, all over the world. Um, and we call the contributions perspectives because although at the beginning we wanted to focus on the professional impact so that we will have an understanding of the sector, of the implications for sectors in um, uh, what happened is that people felt that some people felt that they wanted to talk about what they were going through, and, yeah. and we and we decided, of course, you know, like um, let's make it organic, and um, and let's let let the process be bottom up. Yes, um, but some people, of course, they wrote about from a, a professional perspective, and then some people wrote from a personal perspective. So then we call the, the publications per perspective nice. papers. Nice. <laughs> yes. Um, and then the professional perspectives from media, from the agricultural sector, from the oil sector, from the healthcare sector, but also the personal, no? what does leadership mean to you now? What is the power of community uh, about um um, your mental health, uh, about uh, forgiveness, yes? Uh, but it was, um, it was good because you some, sometimes you could group uh, the perspectives, into, perspectives yeah. into, uh, into different areas, yeah? So yeah. that to, to give an understanding of um, also the diversity and, and the different perspectives within exactly. one conversation. Um, so... So the, my, my co-founder, Sarah Wusu and I, um, uh, and, um, published together the first uh, perspective paper. Nice. Uh, we have four in total. No? The first one was about COVID yeah, at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. But the, the last three uh, the, the, um, on women, uh, voices of African women and Afro women in the diaspora, also on leadership. And then the last one that is about to be published is on the diaspora. And oh, wow. for the last three, we also joined uh, forces with um, uh, Jabom Gilpin Jackson. So it's uh, an academic, uh, Afro-descendant academic in Canada. Mm -hmm. to, together, and Sarah is in, was in Mozambique at the time. Together, we decided to do these last three perspective papers, and we all contribute to the perspective papers. Um, yeah. Sometimes to, to fill in gaps, you know, like uh, right. we just try to talk about all the issues uh, and try to address issues uh, if we, that were within our purview, like we could talk about uh, about them uh, with confidence. And uh, so in total, over the four uh, perspective papers, I have contributed five. five oh, that is incredible. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and, and it was good because, um, you know, it was a um, reflection process, uh, an opportunity to, to reflect why I care about some issues, no? Mm -hmm. So the, the first, the first, for the first paper, I, uh, my contributions were on healthcare. Um, so it was about, um, about nurses, no? And midwives, uh -huh. COVID-19, yeah. um, 
found us in the uh, when it was the International Year of the Nurse and Midwives. And it was such a critical moment across the world, yes? Uh, to have that year is so important uh, for the health, for health systems around the world. Uh, um, nurses and midwives represent a um, great percent, uh, percentage of, yeah, of health the workforce. Yeah. And, and the workforce um, is a profession that is, uh, is changing, but it's mostly women. And, and, and it was important that we gave them the recognition um, uh, during that year and that we remember, you know, um, that, that why that year was important and also particularly pertinent uh, in, during COVID-19, no? Um, so the, the second one was about science, about the African synchrotron, which is the parti particle accelerator. Uh, yeah. and, and it's so interesting because there are so many amazing stories uh, uh, and initiatives about science on the continent. Um, and it's important because we have, uh, we lose most of our science, you know, our scientists, because scientists need um, very... Um, uh, a strong eco extra ecosystem, a scientific right. ecosystem to, to thrive. So, support. So although many of them want to stay on the continent, eventually it's very difficult for the continent and for countries to compete with other countries that have the whole ecosystem around that. So having an African synchrotron will be uh, incredible and instrumental in ensuring that um, the continent can retain scientists and so, so, so that you know there are 70 uh, particle accelerators synchrotrons around the world but Africa has none oh, so wow. it will be it will be interesting that we um, we really as African countries uh, we start valuing science we start uh, investing in our scientists and ensure that through that we can also be drivers of global progress, you know, global scientific progress um, um, in, the, in the world. Yeah. The other pieces were about um, uh, families and households, <laughs> uh, and family, families and households, because we were talking about this, this was about leadership. And I say, well, what is the unit of leadership in, in, in Africa? And I thought to me, the unit of leadership is the household. You know, and I, I say household and I don't say family. So because some of the households are not, uh, uh, in some households, there are no family connections, no? Um, so, it, but, and also the other issue with households is that most of the households are female-headed households, particular, right. particularly among the poorest ones. So what if, what if households are also part, are more uh, engaged in, in how policy is driven and defined so that they can also uh, ensure and that- Part of uh, the entire system yes, and help to, you yes, know, um, make, build out uh, the solutions that we need. Yes, yeah. make uh, solutions more equitable and relevant to to um, to ensure that these households, all the per the people who live in those households, also thrive. And then I also did two more on uh, on science fiction <laughs> uh, because uh, you know Afrofuturism and and science fiction allow us to imagine, you know, to imagine an an, an Africa which is different, yeah? And Africa that, uh, the Africa that we, that we want and, and um, 
and also not only to imagine, but also to to envision solutions and envision ourselves in different roles. So I think there is power on that. And, and it was a it was a call for people to, to read uh, more uh, writers of African writers, science, science fiction and also Afro-descendant writers. Uh, because it is, it is, I think it's very powerful. And the final one, it was on on the impact of COVID on philanthropy. Uh, um, on the impact of COVID on philanthropy, and in, and it was um, it was uh, that we saw um, with Black Lives Matter was good because suddenly uh, it was understood that um, there has been some unconscious bias in the recognition of people of African descent, Africans who in development and in philanthropy. So now it was it was about uh, ensuring that their, their, their participation had more visibility. But while doing that, um, this seems to have benefited more the bigger organizations of not the community level organizations. And what we have seen in, may, in many healthcare response, whether it was Ebola or whether it is COVID, is that at the level of the community, community health workers, community organizations were critical. Uh, in yes, they were. They were incredibly important. Yeah, that the response was effective. So, yeah. so those were my perspectives, but I am, and I am very glad that the, the Africa Policy Journal is going to, <laughs> is going to help. I am extremely excited to share yeah. To share, um, to share some of these, um, what you said about community health workers on the ground is so critical. I'm, I'm Nigerian, and I remember I was working in public health um, communication at the time um, that COVID happened, and of course, you suddenly can't, you just can't get up and go into communities anymore. And so, even when it came down to information dissemination, getting the right information to communities. At the, at the level of primary health centers, it was community health workers and they were training community health workers to do information dissemination, to, to tell people how to you know, wash their hands, to make sure that people had the right information. Um, so just incredibly critical. And if we didn't have them on the ground, it would have been a completely different, um, a completely different, different story. So yeah. when I think about the perspectives that you've got, it's almost the perspectives that you've, you've gathered, it's, it's almost like therapy, right? It's almost like looking at people bringing together their opinions, what they are feeling, what they are thinking, what this is making them um, understand about the world um, from across, like you said, from across different continents. Um, when this project started, as you've seen what people submit and as you've put together this, you know, this project, what is it in your mind that you you want those who are reading it? What is it that you want them to be left with after going through um, the collateral benefits? This is, a, this is a, a difficult question because at the beginning we did it because, as you say, uh, people have something to say and that needed to yeah. be um, need had something to say and to contribute that needed to be taken into account, you no? Know? globally. 
And, and it was an opportunity to put those, um, those experiences and insights there so that they could be used. Um, so, so the idea is that, okay, we are not a magazine. We don't want to be a new magazine. We were just an online publication, but our purpose is that every content can be reused, yes? So it was about amplifying those voices through partnerships um, uh, with other media platforms. Uh, so that the the voices could be could be could be heard and read and resonate in other contexts. Um, so what we did is um, we did it in I don't know we have different partners. Uh, we had um, Papa Freak in Cameroon. We have the New African Magazine, which is probably the most famous Pan-African uh, publication. Um, we also had, um, we translated some of the perspective into Spanish so that because they are a big, um, I think it's the second or the largest uh, group of African diaspora is in Latin America and the Caribbean as well. So that was also, it was just important uh, to get those voices to resonate with voices in Africa or with voices of other communities of African descent around the world. So we also translated them into Spanish. And Spanish uh, platforms also publish them, like El País, which is uh, the newspaper, the premier newspaper in Spain, and also Revista Negras, which is, is also a platform for the African diaspora, and it's also in, in, in Spanish. And, uh, and then we also, we, through you, no? through the... Yes, and now the Africa Policy Journal. Policy, policy Journal. So what do we want people to get out of it? So... Um, I think first is to um, to read, no, to to gen- to be genuinely curious about about others, about the others, and the and the and the other thing is that you know the Africa and its diaspora is incredibly diverse, you know, yes. and and it always surprises you. <laughs> And uh, always surprises you um, the background of people, you know, like uh, we have people working on media, we have people working in agriculture, in the oil industry, in the healthcare sector, but also in digital, in digitalization, people running for office, <laughs> people, um, students, um, uh, entrepreneurs. So we wanted to also ensure that that diversity yeah, um, that diversity was recognized and so that we you know Africa was not lumped into this single story yes um, but also but also is that there are there are some common elements no there are some common elements that that we got so at some point a lot of the contributors were writing about gender-based violence, no? And, and, and gender-based violence um, from South Africa to Colombia, yes? Um, so it was also important to, to also recognize and identify some of the commonalities, uh, whether it is on these issues or like an issues, difficult issues like gender-based violence. So, um, access to education, you know, uh, and, and the challenges of digital education or in poor, in, in places where infrastructure is poor. Fantastic. Um, I wanted to ask, 
you know, as you have partnered with different organizations and they've put out, you know, pieces um, from this project, what has been the reaction of your authors? How have you seen, seen as, as, as you know, like different, different partners, I'm sure, are publishing different parts that kind of relates to their audiences? And I think it's fantastic that it was, it was translated into Spanish. And that's actually something that we probably will think about in, if you can publish a few that are in other languages. But how did you see this impact those who, you know, who wrote for the collateral benefits? Well, it was, it's been amazing, no? When um, when you uh, I, I I I was not I was not expecting as much. It's very, but it, it has been amazing the reaction, and I think it is because of the the sense of value. Uh, and recognition, and I am just going to, I would like to highlight the story of, of Faustino. Rodrigo Faustino is a friend from Brazil who runs uh, Ebony English, which is a um, language school so for Afro-Brazilians so that they can learn English and then they, ha- they can have better opportunities, you know, in Brazil and around the world. And, um, and he got very sick with, with COVID, yeah, very, very sick. And um, and it was very scary because in Brazil, more than 400,000 people at the time had died of, of COVID-related um, causes, and the majority of them were Afro-Brazilian. So it was a very scary situation um, for, for him and for, and for all of us. And... Um, and he and when he his perspective was published by the Harvard anti-racism anti-racism policy journal, uh, he was so happy. No, he of course uh, he's happy because he recovered. He was lucky he recovered, so he has now this sense of vitality and of life of enjoying life, and and he he felt recognized. Um, that um, the what happened to him and what happened to the community matter beyond Brazil and beyond the immediate um, um, uh, networks of support, um, and that and that there is purpose and that there is um, it is worthwhile to get to know ourselves better, you know, within the African diaspora community and also within Africa. So I thought that was very very powerful. And, and then there are other contributors that, um, that uh, like Faustino, went through very difficult health uh, situations and also um, lost relatives. Yeah. Um, so some of them um, uh, felt that, you know, some of them were surprised about what they have written. Uh, and, you know, like the writing process is hard because sometimes they will write something and then we will have to get back to them to, to edit it <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and work together. And, but but um, in the end, I think, you know, like when you read it, read back, you know, like uh, things, some things that you have written, you are surprised, you know, about about the about your insights, about your state of mind. And also you are more, even more surprised when people talk to you about it and, and say to you, I was feeling exactly the same. <laughs> you know, I was, I was feeling yeah. exactly the same, yes. Yes, and I mean, I think that's what good writing does, right? It yeah. resonates with different people. People people are able to step into your shoes and kind of see the world from the, the, the perspective that you 
they they they, they you brought to it. Um, so at the Africa Policy Journal, we are hoping to we'll be able to run um, several of these pieces to share with our audience, and um, because we thought it's it's such a worthwhile project. Um, and I wanted just to finish by asking you, um, because of course you yourself are you know you're a Pan Africanist, you're working towards you know incredible solutions um, for the continent. How do you think that Africa can continue to? build a, co- a cohesive and a collaborative future. You know, Africa is quite diverse. Um, the people are diverse, are diverse. The, the, not the cultures, the perspectives, the way people see life, it's, it's incredibly different and spread across the continent, across the continent. Is there value in building together? And, you know, and how, how, how can we do it better? Wow, you are the, the, the master of the difficult questions. No? <laughs> so so the, the, that is a worthwhile question. So um, there, is, there is not a simple answer. And, and I am sorry, but I'm, I am just a human being. Uh, but I'm going to try to answer. Um, you, have said, you have said it yourself, you know, the continent is very diverse. We are 55 countries, um, more languages, uh, um, um, a lot of languages, a lot of different cultures. And that is what we need to know to get to know each other. You know, we need to get to know each other uh, because change, um, any meaningful change require, requires the participation of the different stakeholders. So we all have something to contribute, but to contribute it, we need to know each other. Um, within countries, particularly big countries, but also across countries. So um, how many Africans um, know Africa, you know, like other countries in Africa as well, as much as they know other countries in Europe. So there is going to, we are going to talk then about a small percentage. So I think we do need to get to know each other, know in the continent and also within the diaspora. And that's what I am really positive about the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, because I hope that it encourage, encourages cohesion and, and also allows uh, for the movement of people, uh, for the movement of people um, beyond businesses, you know, for genuine curiosity uh, to generate a sense of us. Yes, a sense of, a sense of us that, is, that really wants... Um, meaningful transformation and because we need to work together to to achieve it we cannot do it alone you know like the different communities of the different countries i think we through if covid has uh, taught us something is that we cannot go at it alone Susanna, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I could keep asking you questions, but I think that we'll, I will stop here for now. It's been an incredibly insightful conversation. And we at the Africa Policy Journal are, like I said, just super excited to share part of this work that you've so dutifully and so painstakingly put together. And we look forward to sharing with our audience. And um, hopefully we'll still be talking to you again in the future. 
Yes. Thank you. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Before I go, where can we find Collateral Benefits? You can find us um, on collateralbenefits.africa. Yes, online. You have our website, but also on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you so much, Susanna. And do have a lovely rest of the day. (laughs) You too. Thank you so much, Ada.